You're listening to a message from Mercy Culture Church, home of Pastor Landon and Heather Schott in Fort Worth, Texas. For more information about Mercy Culture and ways that you can be a part of it, visit mercyculture.com. I believe that this week and potentially next week might be the two most important services that you attend of Mercy Culture this year. I believe that this word will absolutely change your life if you partner with it. Luke chapter 19, verse one, it says, and Jesus entered Jericho passing through and there was a man named Zacchaeus, a chief tax collector who was very wealthy. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but could not see because the crowd, he was so small in stature. So he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore tree to see him. Since Jesus was about to pass that way, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, hurry down for I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus hurried down and welcomed him joyfully. Someone say joy. And all who saw him began to grumble, that's the religious people, saying he has gone to be the guest of a sinful man. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, 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 half of my possessions I give to the poor. And if I've cheated anyone, I will repay him fourfold. Jesus said to him, today salvation or deliverance has come to this house. I came to tell you this morning that deliverance is easy in the presence of God. The title of this message this morning is Deliverance is Easy. Let's pray. So Lord, we declare right now that this is your house. We say, have your way. Holy Spirit, I declare that your word is true and that every man's a liar. We declare your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. I pray we hide your word in our hearts so we won't sit against you. Holy Spirit, I ask you to breathe upon your written word, your logos word. I pray it becomes rhema. I pray it becomes alive. I pray right now that it goes forward and accomplishes everything that you set it out to do. Holy Spirit, I pray right now you would give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, minds to understand what your spirit is saying right now. We declare right now no spirit, but the Holy Spirit is welcome in this house. We say every spirit you must go. Holy Spirit, come rule and reign. Holy Spirit, we tell you, we do not make room for you, but we give you the entire room. So Lord, I pray right now, replace my words with yours. I thank you. No one came to hear me. We all came to hear you. So we say, speak Lord. Your servants are listening and all God's people said, amen. amen. And amen. We're in this season called easy. How many have been rocked by this word? How many have been challenged by this word? How many are spiritually growing by this word? That we do not have to partner with the spiritual philosophy that everything in life and ministry has to be hard. But Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. If you wanna hear the, the theology of this message, you can listen to Church in the City on the message I preach, it's easy in the presence. But Jesus already carried the cross. He already carried the yoke. He conquered sin, death in the grave. And now he said, learn from me, let me teach you my ways. One of the things the Lord spoke to me to teach on in this easy series is deliverance. I actually thought I'd be ministering on deliverance next year. It's been a topic people ask me all the time in my Tuesday Q&A. You know, what's your theology of deliverance? Do you believe in deliverance ministry? Do you have a deliverance ministry? I get asked all the time. And it's kind of a complicated, complex answer that takes more than one or two sentences to convey. But I felt the Lord specifically tell me in this easy series to teach on deliverance. So I'm going to begin to answer those questions with clarity. Do you believe in deliverance? My answer is yes and no. And do you have a deliverance ministry? My answer is yes and no. Now, when I say, yes, I be believe in deliverance, I believe in what the Bible teaches us about deliverance. When you say, do you not believe in deliverance? I do not believe in what I call deceitful or deceptive deliverance. So what is decep deception or deceitful deliverance? It's when you deliver someone from something to deliver them to yourself. 
It's a deliverance ministry that never teaches people how to walk in true freedom in relationship with the Holy Spirit. It just goes from relying on demons to relying on the demons that you walk in. Anytime deliverance ministry causes somebody to need a spiritual guru or the master disciple or the YouTube specialist even more, it's actually deceptive deliverance. Well, let me show you in Luke chapter 11, it says this. It says that there, there was a man who was delivered from a spirit and it went out of them. But the problem is nothing came and took its place. And so seven other demonic spirits, more greater than itself, came and re-entered the man. And he was worse off than he was originally because he was filled with demonic presence. Watch. See, see this is what witchcraft and demonic warfare will do. It will cause people to need you rather than need God. Now, I'm not talking about true discipleship. But even when Jesus discipled his disciples, he said, hey, y'all, I got to go. You need me too much. Because when people are bound with devils, you sit there and argue amongst yourself and argue with religious people, and then I have to come. When a, when a storm comes on the boat, you all fight with each other while I'm sleeping underneath. I must go so that the helper, the Holy Spirit, could come. This is what we said in the book of John. Put it up on the screen. He said, I have to go so the advocate, the helper, could come with you, and he could be your guide. Now watch this. The greatest teachers... Teach students to not need their help. We got any teachers in the room? You know when you're, you got any parents in the room and they send homework done? And they're like, help me with answer four. And what they mean is answer the question. But if I answer the question for you, I'm actually not helping you with number four. I'm hindering you because you're not growing. So any kind of deliverance ministry that causes you just to need me or someone else more is not deliverance, it's deception. Now, what I believe in is daily encounters. In fact, the vision of our church is deliverance ministry. He will go from corporate encounters with God to daily personal encounters with God. Because in my daily personal encounters with God, I will encounter God. When I encounter God, he will deliver me. See, deliverance is already in the vision of our church that when we meet him in his presence, he will deliver us. And that is where it's so easy. What so many people are looking for is, is there a fast track to spiritual growth? No. Well, what if I go to a prophetic conference? No. Well, what if I take the YouTube course? No. There's no shortcuts to spiritual growth. You have to grow. And you grow, watch, in not the fast track, you grow in the daily discipleship. Daily with him. And what's wild is when everybody else is running around trying to find the fast tracks and you just stay consistent to your daily discipleship, you will outgrow anyone that tries to spiritually cheat. So yes, I believe in deliverance. I believe that you're delivered in your daily encounters. Hmm. Deliverance needs clarity in the church today. So what is deliverance? We find this, the word soteria, which when we say the word deliverance, we're actually saying the word salvation. Now when you study Greek and Hebrew, it's such an expansion on our English. So it adds welfare, prosperity, preservation, safety. But the word in, in the Bible for deliverance is the exact same word for salvation. So here's where this, what this means is, somewhere we've developed a theology that God saves us without delivering us. 
And do you realize this is why so many people answer the same altar calls over and over? I've actually been around some prideful preachers that say, you don't need to come and get saved again. You're already saved. And I would respond, sir, they're not coming to get saved. They're coming to get delivered. Hear this today. When he saves you, he delivers you. And there's this moment of beautiful freedom. But deliverance is not a one-time event. Deliverance is this beautiful journey of experiencing freedom over and over. Encountering God over and over. See, deliverance is this beautiful relationship with the Lord where there's something heavy, there's something weighty, there's something you're bound in, there's something you're stuck in, there's something that's burdening you, and he releases you from it. This is not a one-time event that you have. It's not a one-time altar call. This is a journey with God. Do you know there's over 500 different verses on deliverance? I want you to make a mental check every time you're reading God's word on a daily basis and you see the word saved or salvation, remember it's connected to deliverance. Did you know that one of the names of God, Jehovah Mafalti, is the God who delivers? Every single Sunday when I pray, no spirit but the Holy Spirit, you realize I'm praying a prayer of deliverance? When we say no spirit but the Holy Spirit is welcome, we are praying the prayer of deliverance. Every time you walk in your, your house and you pray this, or your child is scared at night and you say, hey, no spirit, but the Holy Spirit is welcome here. Every other spirit you have to go. That is a prayer of deliverance. Do you know deliverance is supposed to be a continuous thing? Because even in Matthew, when Jesus taught us how to pray, even in the Lord's prayer, we should be praying the prayer of deliverance daily. It's right there in the Lord's Prayer. This is not something to experience just once. We see deliverance from our enemies. Psalms chapter 59, verse 1. We see all throughout the Bible deliverance from demons and demonic activity. Like in Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, the Lord's Prayer that I mentioned. We see deliverance from the spirit of fear. Psalms 34, verse 4. We see deliverance from challenges and trouble. Psalms 91 is a great psalm to memorize. We see deliverance from sickness or that spirit of Infirmity that I taught about in the message that healing is easy in the presence of God. We see songs of deliverance. Psalms 32 verse 7. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. We see how deliverance expands territory. Judges chapter 1 verse 2. And the Lord said Judah shall go first. Behold I have delivered the land into your hand. We see deliverance as this continuing result of an encountering God. Look at 2 Corinthians 1.10. It says this, he delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. Look at this. He has delivered us and he will deliver us. I need, I, I need to make sure I, I clarify this. <laughs> deliverance is not because you're bad, so you need deliverance. Deliverance is because he's so good. You need to hear this wrong. Deliverance isn't because you did something wrong. Deliverance is because Jesus already did something right. We need to break the mentality of what we think deliverance is. Deliverance isn't that you just can't cope with life and you're under so much bondage that you need to have a demon cast out of you. Yes, people have demons cast out of them and we need more of that in the church. But there's also another degree of this where he delivers you from everything and anything that's hindering your walk with God. So let me show you the verse that taught me about deliverance. It's Psalms 30. Put it up on the screen. This is David praying. And he said this. He said, in your Lord, I've taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. He said, deliver me in your righteousness. Now, when he said the word righteousness, righteousness means to be, to do, to live right in God's eyes. We get the word justice from righteousness. Righteousness means to be right with God, not right with your conscience, 
Not I could sleep at night. Right with God. How do you know if you're right with God? His word will reflect it. So he said, deliver me in your righteousness. Then it goes on in verse 5. David says this. He says, into your hands I commit my spirit. Now does that prayer seem familiar to you? Have you heard anyone else pray that prayer? Who? Jesus. Only two times in the entire Bible is that prayer prayed. Jesus on the cross and Luke when he's saying, Lord, into your hands I offer up my spirit. And David in Psalms chapter 30 when he said, would you deliver me, God? I offer up to you my spirit. So what's the difference between Jesus praying the prayer and David praying the prayer? I'm glad you asked. Because according to scripture in Matthew chapter 1, Jesus was born of the Spirit. But then John 1 tells us he became flesh. Follow me. So Jesus is born of the Spirit but becomes flesh. But Jesus is always led by the Spirit. So in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus is being led into the wilderness to be tempted, it's right there in your notes. Who's leading him? Spirit, watch. So he can go into a season of temptation and be protected by God because he's being led by the Spirit. Some people think they're in desert seasons and the Spirit didn't lead you, your flesh led you. That's why it wasn't 40 days, it's been 40 years. So watch this. Jesus is constantly led by the Spirit. Despite anything else, he's led by the Spirit. This is really important you understand this. So even when he's being te tempted in the wilderness, or being tempted uh, when, when he's in Matthew chapter 26, where he's about to go die on the cross, he's sweating drops of blood, and his, he comes back to his disciples and says, I need you guys to pray. They don't pray, they fall asleep. What does Jesus say? He says, the spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. So what's the difference between Jesus praying the prayer and David praying the prayer. Jesus was submitted to the Holy Spirit at all times. David was submitted to the Holy Spirit some of the time and submitted to his flesh some of the time. Let me show you. So when David is led by the Spirit, he's killing giants. When he's led by the flesh, he's killing husbands. We see this with someone like Peter. When Peter is led by the Spirit, he's saying, you're the Christ, you're the Son of the living God. When he's led by the flesh, he's cursing out teenage girls, saying, I've never met the man. We see this with Elijah. When he's led by the Spirit, he's calling down fire from heaven, consuming 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah. When he's led by the flesh, one woman writes him a letter and says, I'm going to kill you. And he runs and asks God to take his life and falls into a demonic oppression because he's led by his flesh. We see this over and over, not only in biblical times, but we see it in our lives. What great exploits do you do when you're led by the Spirit? And how much harm do you commit when you're led by your flesh? Watch this. It's very simple. Deliverance is when your flesh submits to the Holy Spirit. So you say, why am I struggling so much? Because your flesh is not submitted to the Holy Spirit. Or how have I been walking in so much freedom? Because your flesh is submitted to the Holy Spirit. See, this is the battle. Galatians says it like this. He says the war of the spirit and flesh are opposing each other. They're in conflict with each other. This is the spiritual battle. And that's why we can live these seasons of great freedom and great power. And then these seasons of great bondage. And it all depends on what we are submitting to. I've gone through all sorts of seasons in my life. Good seasons, hard seasons. One of the values of mercy culture is authenticity. So I wanted to be authentic with you. We say we don't do fake. 
In the last 20 years, I've been delivered from so many things. There was a season where I was bound with perversion and immorality, addicted to pornography, married to the most beautiful woman in the world, but still bound that I had to be delivered from. There's a season that I need to be delivered from anger, that the, the, the perversion created anger in me that I had to be delivered from. I've had to be delivered from father wounds. I've had to be delivered from abusive and foul spiritual leadership that I've had to be delivered from. I've had to be delivered from sickness. I've had to be delivered from shame. I've had to be delivered from tormenting, harassing demonic spirits. I've had to be delivered from a Jezebel spirit. I've had to be delivered from a suicidal spirit. There was a season for about a year that I would say I was suicidal, where I would have vivid daydreams on how to kill myself and do it so my wife wouldn't find me for a long period of time or how I could kill myself where it would harm her the least. This is your pastor fearless leader. There's a season where there was such a demonic harassing spirit over our lives. I remember one time specifically that we were in our apartment and I was leaning against the wall, sitting on the floor and I, I was so demonically oppressed, I couldn't even talk. I couldn't get words out. My wife came over and laid hands on me and just started praying in the Holy Ghost till peace came back. I'll tell you the darkest thing I've ever been delivered from. I heard the lie of the enemy tell me he didn't want to use me and I believed him. So what is there to live for if God's done with you? When I'm talking about deliverance, I'm talking about something that has changed my life. Where there's been moment after moment and season after season where I encounter something or experiencing something and the only thing that can pull me out is the grace of God. This morning, I want to expose Three demonic spirits that the Lord has delivered me from. And I heard him to tell me that he wants to deliver you in this house from. I'm going to say this again. There's three spirits that I believe we as a congregation are going to be delivered from. The first one is the spirit of frustration. I know how silly or simple this sounds. But last December, the spirit of frustration tricked me and attacked me and I partnered with it. And let me try to describe the process. I was frustrated with everything and everyone. Uh, you, you know like when you're on the, some of you like the 30th day of a fast and someone says hello to you and you're like, what? Like that's how I felt. I was frustrated with everyone. And then we're coming into the holidays and it was the holiday season and we had time off and now I'm getting nervous because I'm like, I'm frustrated still and the holidays are almost over and I'm supposed to be resting and we got a 40 day fast coming up in January and I got to spiritually lead in January and, and, and I'm, I'm not okay and I'm not rested and, and I was just getting more and more worked up. And then I was in my daily encounter. And I encountered God through movement. I'm on the trail running I'm telling God how frustrated I am and I'm kind of just venting. I don't know if it was prayer. I think it was just complaining and I was just complaining to the Lord. And Ross, I didn't even ask him to. I'm, on, I'm in my run praying to the Lord, talking, just, just frustrated and I feel him reach down and the only way I can describe it is he grabbed my heart and he turned a valve. And all of a sudden I just felt it go. It was gone. I was delivered. In one moment, every ounce of that frustration I was delivered of. Then the Lord spoke to me and he said, don't bring frustration with you into 2022. So when he said that to me, I was like, this has to be a spirit. It had a presence like a spirit. I heard its voice like a spirit. I saw it starting to spread into other team members like a spirit. But I don't wanna be the weirdo with bad theology. So I said, Lord, you gotta show me in the word where this spirit of frustration is. And then he did, Acts chapter 16. One day, verse 16, in the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl with a spirit of divination. That's a demonic spirit claiming to foretell the future or discover hidden knowledge. 
who earned a large amount of money for her masters through fortune telling. Verse 17, the girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. Remember when we read salvation, the way of deliverance. She continued for many days. Eventually, Paul grew so aggravated or frustrated that he turned aside and he said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And the spirit left her at that very moment. Look at this. Paul is doing ministry and some girl with the spirit of divination is following him around, harassing him, but saying truthful things. You got to be careful because some people might be saying something that's good that's not God. What is she saying? He'll deliver you. These men will deliver you. These men will deliver you. These men will deliver you. And he is so frustrated day after day. Finally turns around and he casts out the spirit. I was delivered of this spirit of frustration. And I believe many of you haven't realized it. But you've been, being, you've been attacked by the spirit of frustration. You thought it was emotional. You thought maybe you were too tired. Maybe you thought it was something else. But I saw it attack me. And I feel like it's going to be delivered off this house and your house. Someone say frustration. Go. You said it like someone who needs deliverance. Someone say frustration. Go. Number two, the spirit of intimidation. First Samuel chapter 17. He, Goliath, stood and shouted at the ranks of Israel, why have you come out to drop for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves. Let him come down to fight me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be the servants and serve us. Verse 10, and the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all of Israel heard the word of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid or they were intimidated. What does the spirit of intimidation do? It stops you from doing what God has told you to do. Jezebel did this with Elijah, where she sent him a letter and in those words intimidated him. This is a spirit that tries to create fear so your courage can't expose that it's just intimidation. I experienced this last year. Last February, we started getting on the radar and we started having attack after attack after article after article and all these news outlets, these media outlets saying things against us. And when people would send me or bring me the articles, I, I wouldn't want to read them because as I read them, I started getting these rushes of anxiety, borderline panic attack feelings, which is the physical manifestation of witchcraft. It's what Elijah felt when he saw the media article from Jezebel. And I was in my office trying to write a sermon and I couldn't because I had so much anxiety. So I came into the sanctuary, no one was in here, it was a Thursday afternoon. I laid on the floor and my heart was pounding so hard as I laid on the floor, I could physically feel my heart hitting the floor. And I worshiped and I prayed and I did what I'll teach you how to do at the end of the service. And I felt it lift. We kept going. We kept leading. And something happened at conference. Now, I can't tell you what happened at conference. I just tell you that after conference, I was delivered. And this is what you have to be careful of. Because at conference, it was wild. There was a lot of shouting. There was a lot of dancing. I think I sweated the entire conference, just sweat straight through conference. 
but something took place at conference. Now, you've got to be careful with this because maybe you're one of those people that when they bring a shafar up or they start shouting or they start Jericho marching or they start dancing, you sit back and you say, well, this is silly. Well, it's only silly that people haven't experienced deliverance. Because what if he just told you to dip in this Jordan seven times? That's pretty silly. But I will do what I need to do to experience deliverance. So last week, Heather and I were in Austin on a marriage retreat. And I was at a coffee shop and she was shopping, spending my money. And I'm in this coffee shop. I got my headphones in. I'm listening to it's easy and it's present. And someone sent me an article. Would you put the, the tagline up? And the article says, Pastor defies IRS. We appreciate that screenshot from the website. And then I read from the pulpit, big whoop. And in the coffee shop, I began to belly laugh. I met tears coming down my face, people looking at me, laughing in a coffee shop. Someone say deliverance. I don't know when it happened at conference, but somewhere in the first dance and the 10th dance, God did something in my soul and delivered me from a spirit of intimidation. Watch, that once caused great panic, caused great laughter and joy. You say, Pastor, are you sure you want to tell that story and let the media know they got to you? No, I want to tell the story and let them know God got to me. Some of you need to see the other side, the vulnerable side of boldness. That you don't always feel bold. You don't always feel strong. You don't always feel courageous. But you know what David said? He said, my God delivered me from the paw of the lion. He delivered me from the paw of the bear. And it's worth putting my neck out the line to protect the sheep. It's worth putting my name on reputation on the line to protect the sheep. He said, Saul, let me tell you. This, this giant is going to be like the lion. It's going to be like the bear because he delivered me once. He will deliver me again. <laughs> Quit letting your giant intimidate you. Tell him about lions and bears. The purpose of this intimidation is to keep you silent. Oh, don't embarrass yourself. Don't look foolish. What if they talk about you? You laying hands on him right now? You praying over him right now? Father, I pray right now, let that intimidation break off once and for all. Once and for all. Once and for all. I pray right now, boldness as a lion. Boldness as a lion. Boldness as a lion. I pray, let strength arise. I pray, let courage arise. I pray, let it be contagious in this house. I pray, let it spread from this altar to the balcony to the light stream and back. I pray your people will not be intimidated by any spirit. We say, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that would defy the armies of the living God? Somebody shout. You say, Pastor, where do you find boldness? Same place David did. Where do you think he got the song of deliverance from? The spirit of intimidation will try to stop you from even beginning this journey of faith. Number three, spirit. Can I pastor you today? 
This is a good time to pretend you got to go, if not. He's going to deliver this house from the spirit of the age. I, I understand that this is a confusing sentence. And most of us think of new age. And that's a part of it, but a small part of it. The spirit of the age is actually the love of the world. Let me show you 1 John 2, 15. Do not love the world, nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the, word, the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. The love of the world is worldliness. This is the spirit of the age. The spirit of the age, hear me very carefully, is when you value the culture of society more than you value the culture of heaven or the culture of the kingdom. I asked the Lord to help me make this as plain as possible. It's when you love the things of the culture more than you love the things of God. Remember I said, when David said, deliver me in your righteousness, righteousness was the culture of heaven. This is what's at odds. The culture of heaven, this is important, not a church culture. The culture of heaven versus the cultures of society. And the reason why we have so many problems with this is because of spiritually, spiritual immaturity. Let me show you 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It's entitled Divisions in the Church. Interesting. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh. Worldly, carnal, and sinful. You are infants in Christ. I fed you milk, not solid food. You were not ready for it. Even now you are not ready, for you are still worldly or led by your flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way. Church, we need to be delivered from carnal cultures. Now this is where I'm going to start pastoring. You have to be delivered from every part of your culture that's not kingdom. And what we see in the body of Christ is people are more loyal to their culture than their king. This is why you love each other till it's election time. No, two months ago, you just loved and we sang and worshiped and, and, and served one another and prayed one another. But then all of a sudden, when there's a culture war, I said this two weeks ago from the pulpit, and I wanted you to hear it again with the Father's heart. This house will never not be a house that stands for righteousness and justice. And it'll never not be a multicultural house. So where does the unity come from in a multicultural house? It's when you do not identify as a Republican any longer. Oh, you didn't think I was going to go that way, did you? Oh, like only one party has demons? I've been to their rallies. I'm sorry, Nate. I'm like, I need a shower. Get me out of here. No, 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 no. But then when we're talking about what the king says about life. Oh, but in my culture. Oh, no, are we going to be... 
I'm just going to pray in tongues for a second. I'm not prophesying in tongues. I'm pushing past the witchcraft in the room. Do you need an interpreter? Yeah, 1 Corinthians 14 says there's going to be a word of intelligence that's going to come right after this. Do you know what you do when you feel a culture war? We pull heaven's culture down. So if a white pastor can't say it, is it truth? We already dealt with that intimidation spirit. Don't worry, the election's over. Now we're having a family conversation. What is this house going to be? Do you realize most churches didn't make past 2020 with the multicultural church? Do you understand the riots and the division tore churches apart with nations? Do you know most of them did not stay multicultural because they let the lying prophets of the media have the pulpit, have the voice, have influence in people? Listen, we have to be a people, listen, that says we're not going back to Egypt. You're catching it in your spirit, but let me teach you. Exodus 32. The Israelites, the first known slaves on the planet, were enslaved by the Egyptians. God delivered them from Egypt's culture and Egypt's gods. The moment they get into the promised land or they're going through the wilderness on the way to the promised land, God says to Moses, come up on a mountain with me. I'm gonna give you my culture. He goes up to be with God in glory to get the 10 commandments. And you know what the people said? Where's Moses? We don't need him. We have a culture. We'll just do what we used to do in Egypt. Put the, screen, put the scripture up, Exodus 32. It says, Aaron said, give me your gold earrings. Get, bring them from your girls. Bring them from your boys. He said he gathered all of it. And then he said he threw it into a fire and out came a golden calf. And he declared, watch this. This is the God that delivered you from Egypt. Wow. It was a lie. That was the God from Egypt. Oh, and this, this, is the, this is a picture of the church in America right now. God delivers us, and the moment it gets hard, where's the leader? I don't understand. I'm not comfortable right now. I, I, I'm unsure about this right now. I feel, I, I feel insecure right now. I feel uncomfortable right now. I don't know what to do right now. Let's go back to our culture. Watch. He's on the mountain. God is with his finger writing, do not make for yourself any idols while they're making for themselves an idol. What part of your culture are you still worshiping? Don't get it twisted. Just because we're putting godly men and women in office does not make them our God. No, no, some of you don't realize what we're doing. We're putting watchmen at the wall. And it's not just about getting them into office. It's keeping them Holy Spirit filled. It's keeping them whole. It's keeping them righteous while they're there. Listen, this is not about an election. This is about the soul of our nation and our children's children, children.
Are we going to be people who are influenced by the spirit of the age? The spirits of the world. You already see it in worship culture. Where we've exchanged Holy Ghost fire for popular strange fire. And the nation can't tell the difference between worship leaders and worship entertainers. We must be delivered from the spirit of the age. Someone tell it to go right now in Jesus' name. I'm going to give you five practical tips very quickly how to experience deliverance. What do you do when the panic attacks of anxiety, the witchcraft, what do you do when the paralyzing fear? What are actual tangible things you can do? Number one, speak in tongues. You're like, bummer, I thought that was just a Pentecostal Sunday sermon. You mean that the goal wasn't to get it on one Wednesday night in the back corner one time year, four years ago? Jude 1.20 says you encourage or, or you strengthen your spirit man by praying the Holy Ghost. This is one man, the young man I mentor years ago, and he, his struggle was the temptation of same-sex attraction and battled it for years since he was a child. And uh, awesome young man, call of God on his life, worship leader. But this was his temptation. And I got a call at about 10.30 at night. I know if I get a call late at night, he probably needs it, probably serious. And I answered the phone, I said, what's going on? And he was crying and he said, I thought I was delivered. And he said, but it just keeps coming back. Here's what I said to him. I said, when's the last time you prayed in the Holy Ghost? And he said, I don't know, I can't remember. I said, where are you? He said, I'm on the freeway. I said, pull over. He takes the first exit. I begin to pray in the Holy Ghost. He begins to pray in the Holy Ghost. All of a sudden, the glory falls. The peace of God tangibly fills the room I was in. I said, do you feel that? He was states away. He said, yeah. I said, what do you feel? He said, peace. I said, where's your temptation? He said, it's gone. Hold on, hold on, hold on. It's important you understand this. Just because you're tempted with something doesn't mean you're in sin. Jesus was without sin, knew no sin, but was still tempted. You just may need to be delivered from temptation. Watch, when you pray in the Holy Ghost, it's very important. Remember, what is deliverance? When your flesh follows your spirit, the Holy Spirit. When you pray in the Holy Ghost, your physical mouth has to follow your spirit. The action of speaking in tongues is a practical action of deliverance. Your flesh following your spirit, the Holy Spirit. This is important you understand this. When you pray in the Holy Ghost, if I track this back, every time I encountered physical demons or demonic presence, I would always pray in the Holy Ghost and I never had the peace of God come almost immediately. Number one, pray in the Holy Ghost. Number two, fast. Jesus said this in Mark chapter nine. The disciples were arguing with religious people. They could not cast out a demon. Reminds me of church today. So they can't cast it out, but they're arguing the theology. And Jesus came and said, these kind only come out through prayer and fasting. I have an announcement to make. The Lord spoke to me about next year. And every January, I called the church to a 21-day fast. This year, I felt the Lord tell me to call the church to a 40-day fast. Three people clapping. About 500 really nervous right now. So we're revoking all memberships that don't do this. I'm joking. I'm joking. I get asked all the time, pastors come in and see the church and like, how this happened? I give you one of the secrets. Now, if you're on a fast, you don't talk about the fast, but after the fast, you can talk about it to teach about it. Because I've currently done eight 40 day fasts. It's been this journey, watch, of Finding spiritual authority, unlocking things in the spirit, 
before it ever happens in the natural. And the wild thing is this, as I've been fasting and teaching other people how to fast, there's been hundreds and hundreds of leaders that have joined this fast. I've lost track how many times Heather's done 40 day fast or Pastor Jasmine's done 40 day fast or many other leaders here in this house. I feel like every time I turn around, Fidel's on a fast. And here's the thing, this is important, you gotta listen to this. The fast does things that you cannot do in the flesh. Fasting is a spiritual discipline. Every year since we started the church, we've called the church to a 21 day fast. We encourage people to do a Daniel fast. And I've done 40 year every time, or 40 day every time we've done this. And hundreds of people have joined me on 40 day liquid fasts. Every time I turn around, there's someone else fasting with us. And it's this army that's arising. Watch. If fasting causes deliverance, what might happen in our city if thousands start fasting? What might happen in Dallas when we go? What might happen in Texas? What if a few of us would pray and fast for America, for there to be a breakthrough in America, America, revival in America, reformation in America? What could happen with the tormenting spirits? Have you seen the statistics for Gen Z? Isaac, what if we have hundreds of teenagers fasting? Number three, I'm calling this the Spirit's cry. The biblical word is the Shabbat shout. I'll give you a text. First Chronicles 16, 35, it says, cry out, save us, God our Savior, gather us, deliver us from the nation. A Spirit's cry is when you stop shouting in the flesh and your spirit begins to lead the shout. It becomes a cry. We see this where there's a blind man named Bartimaeus and he started shouting, Jesus, son of David, had mercy on me. They told him to be quiet, then he began to cry. And it wasn't a shout from his voice anymore, it was a cry from his spirit. This word Shabbat means a splitting of the ears. It's when your spirit is doing the shouting, not your voice. And what's wild is this is the physical version of the shofar. A shofar is taken from the ram's horn, ripped off the ram's horn, and when the flesh dies, it becomes an instrument of war. Do you know that your voice becomes an instrument of war when your flesh is dead? That's why sometimes in church services, there'll be a shout, and I'll tell you, you didn't break through. Because it was a shout, it wasn't a spirit's cry. I found this when we were living in Phoenix. Heather and I had two miscarriages back to back. And I was on my way to go meet a pastor, and she called me, and she said, babe, I'm pregnant. And I said, awesome, I'm so excited. I, I'm walking to this meeting, I gotta go. And I said, awesome, I'm excited, because I knew I had to say that to her, but in my heart, I didn't feel awesome, and I wasn't excited. And the moment I hung up the phone, I heard an audible voice out loud in my car say, you're going to lose this one too. And I pulled the car over and I began to cry. Not tears with my spirit. I began to declare this child shall live and not die. This child be used as a prophetic voice to her generation. I began to declare the destiny on my child. My spirit began to cry. That's Peyton Olivia. My 11 year old who's on fire for God. Already prophesying, already ministering. Her favorite day ever, I think, was the day that she graduated and got to go to youth church for the first time. She's on fire for God. Listen.